Hey guys, Graham here. And before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to remind you about our friends over at The Green Writer. Are you or is someone you love an aspiring author? Well, it is time to try The Green Writer course. The Green Writer is an audacious invitation to writers who aspire to create and share excellent stories. With motivation, inspiration, and instruction, author S.D. Smith invites writers to launch into their own writing adventure with confidence and competence. The aim of this course is to become a green writer, one who is always going and growing. Try three free lessons and get the green writer at greenwriter.sdsmith.com. Use our code WITHYWINDLE, W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E, for $10 off this great course. All right, on to today's episode. Hello, Graham. Hello, David. Got a joke for you. Yep. What lies at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? What? Li- I don't know. What is it? A nervous wreck. <laughs> Just in keeping with my, my pirate series. I, I think that one's really good. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give that one a six. A six. Okay, I'll take that. Uh, what do you got this week? So, uh, what do you call... A train that's always hungry. A train that is always hungry. Um, speedy famished. A choo-choo train. <laughs> like chewing, chewing, yeah, chew, no, I, choo-choo. Yeah, I got the pun part. So the yeah. sound of the train goes choo-choo, but chewing is yeah, 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 no, no, okay. I, no, I get it. But I have a question. Yeah. So if it's hungry... So it's always chewing because it's always hungry. Yeah, that's right. Got it. Okay. That's right. All right. Did you make that up? Uh, no, I did not. Did you get that from a listener? I got that from my uh, seven-year-old daughter. Well, you know, I was going to say this sounds, it sounds like a, a Maddie joke. It sounds like Maddie's <laughs> sense of humor. Therefore, I will give it a... You know what? How about a, how about a six and a half? Whoa. Wait, is that what I gave yours? You gave me a six. Okay, I can't so I just remember. A, I was giving it a little bump. That's a winning joke. A winning joke, that's right. Ah, you know what, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show. It's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I am David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. And this is Season 3, Episode 9, which sadly means we are coming to the end of our third season. But you know what that means? What? We're technically closer to season four. Oh, true. And we've already recorded it all. <laughs> Don't tell them that. No. <laughs> false, false. We have not recorded it all. We have, however, no, we have not. recorded the conversation that you're going to hear shortly with Ken Preby. He is a really fun guy. We talked about his, his new book, Goblet. We also talked about snacks. But we actually talked about goblins a lot and lots of other things. So you're going to hear that in just a minute. And at the end of the episode, we're going to give you the answer to last week's riddle and reveal... The official name for the bookstore troll. Ooh. Of course, before that, we're going to do book time. We're going to talk about the end of the Phantom Toll Booth. We're going to have another iteration, another segment of lazy words. But of course, first, Graham, we need we need to have snack time. Snack time. Snack time. And you know what? We have to thank some some listeners because Matthew and Maddie Croft they gave us our very own. What do, what do we call these? Yeah, so I was actually just Googling this before we uh, <laughs> to jumped on the air it. here, and I 
I got distracted before I could figure it out. But these are like special chopsticks that sit between your knuckles on your hands and you just kind of squeeze your fingers together and the chopsticks uh, go together. Is that, you're supposed to use them like that? You could also just do this with your index finger and your thumb. Oh yeah, like you could. True. Yeah. True. You, that, that's so many ways so, to so use this delightful. So unlike chopsticks, which are two separate sticks that you have to learn yeah. how to control, these are... Uh, say like a spring-loaded plastic. Yeah, like spring-loaded plastic where the two things are connected together. And let me say, if you are an artist who, you know, maybe likes to eat Cheetos with chopsticks, uh, this is great because you don't have to try to figure out how to scoop the chopsticks up. You just pick these things up off the desk. Yeah. Snatch, snatch your, your snacks. Sn- yeah, Cheetos. snatch. So... Graham, I have I have some chips here. Well, I would call these maybe snatchy grabbers. Snatchy grabbers, snack snack grabs, snack snack snatchers, snack snatch, snack snatch, snatch snack snatch. Okay, these are some habanero lime Ooh. kettle chips, and we're gonna wow. test out our snatch snatchy our snack snatchers with these habanero lime. Give it a go. Let's find out what do you think of both the chips and the snack snatchers. Snack snatch. That is a delightful crunch on this chip. Dropping mine. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Oh, mm. I'm getting more habanero than lime. <laughs> but it's a good pain. <laughs> I like this. They're delicious. That has a dense chip. Um, and look at that. I can snatch my snacks. Yep. Snack snatch. So since uh, we were gifted these three or four days ago, I've eaten every single... A piece of food uh, with, with them. With them, yeah. So I'm quite this is an my expert. First time. I'll have to say, uh, soup was rather hard. Soup was hard. With soup chopsticks? was hard. Yep. Um, what did you? End, how did you end up solving that problem? It just took a long you just time. Didn't eat the soup? No, it just took a long time. Several hours for my breakfast soup. <laughs> yeah. Just to clarify, are we not talking about cereal, or are we talking about cereal? Anyway, so <laughs> I brought in. Um, Can we use our snack snatchers with this too? Oh, definitely. Snack snack. Okay. So I brought in some uh, Haribo oh. mini rainbow frogs. Well, and you know, let me tell you, it has always been a dream of mine to eat frogs with snack snatchers. Yes. If you're going to eat frogs, you might as well use a, a snack That's snatcher. Right. Snack snatcher. And if you're going to eat frogs, you might as well make them mini at the same time. And <laughs> rainbow. That's true. And gummy. This is a good snack by itself. It's an yeah. elite snack with snack snatchers. <laughs> Snack, snack. Man, I'm still burning from that chip. That's delicious. So man. I better wash it down with a Boylan's cream soda. Oh, yeah, you did bring some cream sodas. We're back. <laughs> We're back <laughs> to the unhealthy snacks. We're feeling a little bit better this week. That's right. So immediately. So we're back to spicy chips, gummy candy, and cream soda. And Boylan's is one of our favorite brands as they use cane sugar. And, no chemicals uh, that we know of. Well, don't go that far. <laughs> Let's not say things we can't walk back. Uh, but I love cream soda, especially a small batch uh, cane sugared cream soda. And one more thing that you haven't seen. Oh, it's a surprise. Can I use snack snatchers with them? You can. Snack snatch. But they come on a stick. Oh, oh, okay. Rock candy on a stick. Rock candy. Rock candy. Yeah. Is this um, from the Pop Socks family? <laughs> this is from the uh, store. Um, we haven't talked about rock candy before. Are you? Do you like rock candy? Um, we're about to find out. I honestly don't know if I've really ever... You don't know if you've had rock candy? Well, yeah, go for the blue one. What do I do? 
You eat it. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know what flavor blue is. It's just blue flavor, I guess. You just like. It's like nerds meets a lollipop. Mm hmm. It's blue raspberry ish. It, this would be very hard with snack snatchers. So I, I grab the try. I grab the white one, which tastes like nothing. So maybe it's snow flavor. <laughs> I'll put um, pee in it to taste like snow. <laughs> so rock candy, like uh, I don't know how it's made, or maybe it's not. Maybe maybe you have to. It grows on a tree. No, like you quarry it, like you would any kind of crystal. Oh, okay, you did, yeah, you, you have to go, go to, to a, quarry. A, a rock candy quarry. Rock candy mountain. And di <laughs> hey. Go to the Rock Candy Mountain, <laughs> put a stick of dynamite, drill, drill a hole, put a stick of dynamite in there, blow up a, a, a crevasse. And then next thing you know, you'll have a perfectly well-shaped batch of candy on a stick. Yeah. It's even got this fancy, fancy handle. I, I love Rock Candy, and I, I don't... It's one of those things, like, I, I think I really like the texture the and the whole experience of, like, chewing something that's probably bad for your teeth, and uh, but... Yeah, I really like it. So I saw it in the store, which is usually you don't. This but looks it like was something there. my three-year-old daughter would uh, want to wear. Yeah, <laughs> it, it looks like if you, um, you know, when you're done with the cotton candy and there's a little bit left. Yeah. And then it like <laughs> sat out for 50 years. Maybe it would turn into this. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me you gave me something that is, it is, reminds you a uh, 50-year-old cotton candy, and you expect well, me to eat it. If you don't want it, I will take it back. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's solve that during our break. I'll try to eat it. We'll see how it goes, and we'll be back in a minute with lazy words. Because you know what? I think eating this is probably something that you can't be lazy while doing. True. Be right back. All right, guys, we are back. With another example of la 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 lazy, lazy words. Oh. Lazy words. Yeah. Lazy words. We're back with lazy words. Graham, <laughs> what was last week's lazy word? Last week's lazy word, words. Words, that's right. Words. Blackberry and blueberry. It was a lazy word duo. Of course, as we usually do, we workshopped a few you know, spur of the moment solutions to this lazy word problem. Correct. However, we put out a call for, for some real solutions from truly creative people, i.e. the people who listen to this podcast. What did they come up with, Graham? Well, Isaac and Charlotte think the Blackberry should be called the Dark Raz. And the, <laughs> bl <laughs> and the Blueberry should be called Delectable Dots. Delectable Dots. Yeah, I like both of those a yeah, lot. Those good. Uh, John Paul. Uh, thinks blackberries should be called gnarly berries because of the tangle of vines. Oh. And they also kind of have just like a gnarly like yeah. look to them. They look gnarly. Uh, he thinks blueberries should be called naggleberry. Oh. Yeah. I like that a lot. They say that's named after um, their favorite mom and pop store oh. when they were a kid. Naggle. Naggle. All right. Uh, Giorgio thinks uh, both of them should be called gross blobs. <laughs> so... Probably not a big fan. Not a big berry not a guy. Big, no, not a big berry, berry guy. Uh, their dad suggests mini grapes for the blackberries. Mini, that's like true. A clumps of, a clumps yeah, yeah, of yeah. mini grapes to make up a blackberry. Yeah. Uh, Timothy thinks blueberries should be called cerulean joy. 
Okay. <laughs> Daniel thinks they should be called Bear, Bear's Delight. Bear's Delight. Yeah. Caleb thinks they should be called Blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> For Blackberries, Timothy thinks they should be called Nightberries. Nightberries, mm, okay. I like that. Yep. I could see that catching on. Uh, Daniel insists on uh, Peter Rabbit's favorite berries. And Caleb is sure Blapberries, <laughs> perfect name. Uh, Lydia thinks blueberries should be called Juicy Jeans, <laughs> and blackberries should be called Black Sectioned Berry. Okay, yeah, because adding a, yeah yeah uh, adding a little bit in there. Yep. Uh, Everett thinks blueberries should be called Delicious Berry, and blackberries should be called Black Segments. Another yeah. segment there. Yeah. yeah, like the how it looks like a bunch of little things pushed put together. Now Thaddeus had an interesting idea. He thinks. The berries should be called black truck and black car. Now, you're thinking that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but here's the thing. Thaddeus is four. So cut him some slack, will you? <laughs> I, I wasn't thinking those are weird. <laughs> I was thinking those are great. Yeah, they are great. Good job, Thaddeus. Uh, Lucy thinks blueberries should be called squash berry. Uh, Anna thinks they should be called best beautiful blueberry. And William thinks squish berry. <laughs> The Battens think blackberries should be called mini grape berries. Another mini grape. Or bubble berries. And blueberries mm. should be called earth berries. Mm. I like that. Uh, mm. Little blue spheres. All of these are better than just calling it the color that it is. All right. So there are so many. I, I, I have so many. I don't think we can, we can do that many more. Maybe just one more here. Okay. Uh, Danae thinks they should be called edible sapphires for blueberries. Oh, okay. And blackberries beetle eyes. Beetle eyes. So wow. I know, I know, I know we didn't get to all of them, um, but hopefully in a future episode, we will get to yours if we did not. Yeah, keep saying. And we probably, if we didn't get to yours this time, we probably got to it last time. Yeah, I mean. So again, enough of this complaining. <laughs> Wait, are they, who's complaining? I, I don't know. I'm creating, you know what? I'm creating imaginary adversaries. You know what is what we should complain about? What? The next <laughs> lazy word. I knew it. Because on this week's episode... Our new lazy word is what, Graham? Okay, imagine. <laughs> imagine. Imagining. You and I are out in the woods. Okay. Now, you have taken a walk away from me, but... Well, I, you know, I don't want to spend that much time with you. Correct. So. Yeah, I get it. It was probably something I said. Yeah, you wouldn't know you smelled. Well, that, yeah, okay. So, you've taken a walk away from me. To a point where I can no longer hear you, but I would still like to talk to you mm. far away. Yeah, even though I'm walking away. You, you would like, still be yeah, able yeah. to talk to yeah. me. Yeah, and maybe I might want to talk back to you even though yeah. I've walked away. Yeah. So, so and, and maybe even uh, even though you've walked away, you're going to keep walking and talking. Yeah, I might want to talk while I'm walking. Yes. Yeah, so you would it. use your... Witter Walk. shins. Oh, sorry. Walkie talkie. Oh, walkie talkie. We're talking about that's here? right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Walkie talkie. Yeah, it, that's a lazy word. Super lazy word. This this reminds me of the very first one we did. Roller coaster. Mm. Two actions that mm. just kind of smushed together and named an object. This thing. Uh, walkie talkie, though, I'm not mad about it. Like, what? I think it's super lazy, and maybe it's just nostalgia. I think it's kind of hilarious. Because it's not just called the walker talker or like, it's a walkie talkie. There's something, it's like super Sounds playful. like a robot. It's super playful. What do, you, what, what do you think? Well, I still think it's lazy and I still think we need a better name for it. I, well, I, I'm not disagreeing, but usually I have a little more venom uh, <laughs> to, toward these words. And this one is more of a, aw shucks. 
expression. Yeah, it was lazy. It was pretty lazy, lazy, but... I'm not mad, it's just lazy. Fun to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What about something like incommunicado? Ooh, that's good. That's cool. That's a really cool one. Um, You know how sound... Secret chat. You know... Very good, too. You know how sound (laughs) operates on a wave? Yeah. And running is cooler than walking? What about wave runner? Well, that's already a thing. That's not no. We 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 once we name the walkie-talkie the wave runner, then the wave runner we'd have to rename something else, and I'm fine with that. Okay, okay. So we co-op the name. Okay. We take it over. It's wave runner. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sound blaster. Chatbox. Chatbox. Chatterbox. Chatterbox. All right. We're. we're, That's we've done enough. We've done enough. It's time. Time to let the kids. Send what they think a solution to this lazy word problem is. And Graham, how can the kids do that if they think they know better than we do? They are going to email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Did I get it right? That's right. Saying it exactly three seconds after you did? You got it. You know what? You were paying attention. We could have communicated that even if we were across the field, if we had... The chatterbox. A set of chatterboxes. That's right. That's right. This is the last lazy word segment of the season. That's right, because next week on our 10th episode, it's going to be Question Pathreza, our Question <laughs> Palooza third edition. And we're going to have a very special guest. We're bringing back Karina Yan Glazer, is going to come back and answer just all kinds of questions for the yeah. whole time. So, so while you're emailing us your lazy word uh, renames, we need you to ask questions of Karina. Now, they can be questions about her new Vanderbeekers book or, or her, her new m- other book. Or they can just be random questions that you want any of us to answer. What's her favorite pizza topping? I don't know it. I'd love to know it. it what's her favorite cough drop flavor? Who's her favorite podcaster? Does she like to use the left or the right walkie-talkie? Are there left and right walkie-talkies? Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, when you send us in your, get your, uh, your names to replace the walkie-talkie lazy word problem. You can also send us your questions for us to answer next week with Karina. All right, guys, that is another lazy word segment. It's time for book talk. And we're going to discuss the end of The Phantom Toll Booth by Norton Juster. We've come to the end of another book, Graham. It's incredible. It feels like we just started... um, Milo's Journey. Milo's Journey. I was going to say The uh, Railway Children... But then I couldn't remember the name of the book because it was so long ago, <laughs> and it disproved my point immediately. It doesn't one, just feel like season yesterday. one book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay. We're here at the end of the Phantom Toll Booth. Milo's journey is over, and I just have a very simple question for you. Now that we're here at the end, what was your favorite thing about this book? You read it. You'd read it before. Yeah. But what's your favorite thing about reading it this time? I have read it before. And I remember really loving it. And so I think my favorite thing was revisiting the characters. Because like like on the last episode, we ran into the terrible Trivium, who we just called No-Face Man. <laughs> and like immediately I had the sensation, like I did when I was like 11, when I saw the little scribble of, of a doodle of the man. I was like, oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> uh, and it like made me feel exactly the way I remember feeling. Um, but then like going on this journey with talk and humbug and Milo, uh, it just brought back a lot of great memories. Um, but as like a favorite passage, I do like, like the beginning when they first get to the town with the market and the words and, and 
all the confusion and chaos and you're starting to get like a feeling like this place is pretty strange. <laughs> what about you? Well, I love all of the wordplay, of course. I mean, if you don't like the wordplay and the puns and the double meanings and all those sorts of things, you're going to have a hard time with this book. But I was thinking mm. about how I really like the um, the wordplay related to uh, talk mm-hmm. um, and the, the clock jokes, the time jokes, the dog jokes, all the things that go into that character. I really like that. So in this section, we talked about chapters 18, 19, and 20, which are the last three chapters of the book. Do you want to give a quick two-minute summary of what would happen in these two chapters? Yes, I'll be brief. Uh, chapter 18, Castle in the Air. They've finally made it through the Mountains of Ignorance, and they are uh, almost, almost, almost up to the Castle in the Air where Rhyme and Reason are. Uh, but first, they encounter the Senses Taker, mm-hmm. uh, who makes them fill out tons and tons of forms, asks them so many questions, uh, and then... And every uh, adult who reads this book... Yeah. Size. Yeah. Wants to take a nap at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then um, you come to find out that the senses taker is actually taking their senses, as in like their, their senses, senses smell, smell, taste, and sight, and he's showing them things that only they can see to distract them, to slow them down from their quest. Um, the senses taker helps people find what they're not looking for, hear what they're not listening for, run after what they're not chasing, and smell what isn't even there. Mm. And then he steals your sense of purpose, <laughs> sense of duty, and he destroys your sense of proportion. But then they do get to they, the princess. They do get by him because of um, he couldn't steal their sense of humor because they had laughter and their bag of sounds that spilled out. So, Which I suppose is something that this book definitely engages with, is that sense of humor. So they finally get up to rhyme and reason, uh, and it doesn't take long to convince them um, to okay, come back. We'll come. Yeah, they, they are... Uh, and they ride on time, because time flies. <laughs> they ride on time, because time flies. So they get down there, and then they get chased uh, by all these creatures. Um the triple demons of compromise and so forth. Yes, so we got the horrible hopping hindsight, the, the organs of hate. of hate. That's right. Overbearing know-it-all, the gross exaggeration. I like There's that a great one. Picture in the book. And the threadbare excuse. That was a favorite. So they're getting chased by all of those. Um, but then the armies of wisdom. Then the armies of wisdom are all amassed, and you you come to find out that they had been working together. Milo probably inspired them. Uh, along his journey and they're all kind of waiting for them to come back and uh, all these creatures get scared crawl back into their holes Hmm. then then we get to the last chapter and what happens in the last chapter it's called goodbye and hello so Milo gets back into his room he thinks kind of like a Narnian time sequence thing that's happening here he thinks it's been weeks it's only been an hour that he's been gone Hmm. Uh, so he ends up going back to school, but all day he can't wait. He cannot wait to get home because he knows the toll booth's going to be there again and take him somewhere else. Mm. Uh, but it ends up not being there. It's only There's only a letter waiting for him that lets him know that they hope he had a great time, uh, a satisfactory journey. The toll booth will not be returning to him right now because other boys and girls are waiting to use it too. Mm. And then they are quite sure that if they really want to... That if he really wants to, he'll find a, a way to another journey himself. Signed, 
and then it's blurry. He can't read the signature. And then he comes to the end, or right at the end of the book here, he's realizing uh, maybe the toll booth will come back, but he, and he would like to make another trip, but he doesn't know when he'll have the time. He's got so much to do here, so much to make and build and break and to puzzle. And, and so he's, uh, his imagination is thoroughly awake mm. in, in the real world. So I have a question. What do you think Norton Juster, the writer of this book, wants us to experience when we read this. Sometimes people write books because they want you to get information or teach you a lesson. Not like, teach you a lesson, but just teach you a lesson. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a moral or something like that. Those are sometimes not the best books. Sometimes they just want to entertain you. What do you think this book is going after? What do you think, after having just read it, what do you think he's going for? Well, it would be easy to say it's just kind of a morality tale, but I don't think it is. Our hero goes on a journey and transforms along the way. That's kind of typical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, in a more overt, he starts as one kind of person, and by the end of it, he's learned he's, something. He's learned something, something new. Yeah, that, that he's evolved. Yes. So, and he's Milo's our protagonist, our main character. He's the one we're rooting for. We're kind of seeing things through his eyes, and he definitely changes along the way. And I think he's Norton's very Norton, just first name basis Norton. <laughs> yeah. Old Nort. Uh, old Nort. Uh, I think NJ. he's very explicit uh, on what he wants us to get out of this book, um, which uh, I don't know. Should I just list things off? I don't really feel like it. I, I, but, but it's so much fun along the way, too. So I think it's meant to entertain and for us to learn. I think it, I think it really wants us to see how much is out there for us to be creative, creative with. Whether it's, you know, with words or images or puns, you know, there's so many different things out there that we can, you know, every, every time you open this book and flip to any random page, you're going to get some creative uh, character name or joke yeah. based on words or something like that, um, which maybe we should rate the jokes like we do at the beginning of the show. <laughs> but you know, he really values the sense of, of, of creativity and play that's... Yeah. that's he, and I think he's inviting us as as readers to participate in that. Yeah, I agree. And and to show us what we we could be missing out on if if we just are not paying attention, because there's so many kind of jewels of wordplay in this book, mm. or even a meaning. Yeah. Uh, that make you sometimes have to stop and think again. Mm. Um, I like that. It's an invitation to pay attention. Mm. This book is kind of an invitation. Like I like the way you. You put that, you brought that word up. Well, I'm really glad that we had Ken Preby on because he talks mm. to us about how much he likes this book. Yes. And to be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure whether that part makes it in the interview that we, that we are, you're about to hear, but this is one of his favorite books. And so it's, it's makes sense to have him on uh, for this season. So is there any final thoughts you have on this book? Anything you want to mention, read? Uh, recommend, highlight, before we turn it over to Ken Preview. Uh I hope that any of the kids who have read this before had a great time going through it again. And I hope that if you were just introduced to this book, maybe it's going to become kind of a lifelong favorite for you. And if you ever need a joke, then, you know, this is, the, this is a great book to... Uh, to read with your family, you know, you're gonna. There's a, there's a smorgasbord of yeah. of great of great jokes and puns and things like that. To you know, to just be like, 
you know, incessantly annoy people with. You could, I mean, I mean, get creative with. You can most likely open to any page <laughs> and, and find, find something. Just find something. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's introduce you to this week's guest, Ken Preby. As I mentioned, Ken Preby is a fan of Norton Juster's The Phantom Tollbooth. He grew up in Gross Point, Michigan, and a childhood shaped by cartoons, books, puppets, birds, and animatronic rock bands. He studied film and animation at the University of Michigan School of Art and Design and Vancouver Institute of Media Arts. And now he lives in Vancouver, Canada with his family. And you might remember that he has a new book out from Bandersnatch Books. It's called Goblebet, a murder mystery, a book which you have been uh, checking out a little bit, Graham. I have. You can get this book from Bandersnatch Books. Go to bandersnatchbooks.com and then use the code WITHYWINDLE to get 10% off. So again, that's bandersnatchbooks.com and then the code is WITHYWINDLE, W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E. You know, the usual. The huge. <laughs> We had a great time talking with Ken. Graham, on a scale of zero to 17,000, what would you rate this interview? Uh, you know, Don, uh, I'm going to have to give this one uh, 17 million. Did I do that right? I mean, you did everything wrong. Everything about that was wrong. Everything. But I mean, the number was right. The nu- no, the number was wrong. Yeah, you, you're, uh, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Well, whatever, Jack. Let's get on to the interview. <sighs> All right, here's Ken Preby. All right, we are here with Ken Preby. Ken, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and, uh, and answering some questions for us and talking about snacks and talking about books. All right, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. You, you said you have listened to a few episodes before, so you probably know yeah. what's coming now. It's only the most important question you'll be asked on this podcast. I mean, I'm starting to think maybe it's the most important question you'll ever be asked on any podcast, um, maybe at any point, at any time in your life. But Ken, um, Doritos or, or Cheetos? Yes. Mm. That's, mm. that's my answer for everything. Oh. You are going to make me choose though, aren't you? Well... I knew I was in for that. <laughs> you know, okay, let, uh, let's, um, let, maybe we don't make you choose, but if you could just kind of uh, explore your feelings on the various flavors of each of uh, these, these, these uh, delectable snacks. Yes. Well, yeah, to be honest, I did give this some thought. And if I had to choose, I'd say I'm definitely more of a Doritos guy. But I think that what's actually better, and this might, this might uh, disrupt the whole universe of this behind this question, <laughs> is that... There's that, you know, that munchie mix that has like Cheetos and Doritos together with like sun chips and pretzels and, you know, I can't, I'm honestly surprised that no one has ever said this before. You may be, um, am I the first one to actually go there? Yeah. You are the first, the first one to ever bring up the munchie. Oh, cool. Well, that's good. You see, to me, that's better than one or the other, Hmm. but here in, here in Canada, snacks are actually very different. We have, um, we do have Cheetos. We have most of the things that, that uh, you know that I grew up with, and that you guys have down there. But uh, we in, here in Canada we have cheesies, which I'm not really a fan of. They kind of taste like earwax. <laughs> now the manufacturers of cheesies are going to send me nasty letters because that's what we do in Canada. <laughs> but that being said, uh, there are alternatives to Cheetos, which are which are far worse. So. If I had to go with Cheetos, I would be okay with it. Well, <laughs> if if Cheesies were a sponsor of our podcast, we would, you know, rebuff you at this point, but they're not. We can besmirch uh, Cheesies all we want. Yeah, exactly. I mean, That's good. honestly, it sounds made up. <laughs> I, I know. 
<laughs> it's not very creative, is it? No, you know, we have a segment on the podcast called Lazy Words, and that might qualify as lazy, lazy brand. The lazy yeah, brand. Lazy, lazy brand branding. Should be our new yeah. segment. Lazy snacks. <laughs> lazy snacks, exactly. Okay. So on the food category of question, are you a, a cookies or cake guy? Hmm. Well, I think it depends on the situation. I definitely like both. I def I am definitely particularly partial to German chocolate cake. Mm. Mm-hmm. If I can get a hand on a German chocolate cake, I'm very, very happy. And uh, so that would be my favorite cake. And I love chocolate chip cookies as well, especially when they're fresh out of the oven. Mm. So I'm, I'm quite partial to both, I would say, mm. but I think it depends on the context. So Ken, uh, just mentioning German chocolate cake, what are your feelings on a Black Forest cake? A Black Forest cake. Yeah. Mm. Are you pro Black Forest? I'm pro any like forest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> any cake that comes from a forest is is good in my book. Yeah, isn't isn't Black Forest a German cake as well? I was just putting I think so. putting things together in my head. Is there really a there cake called a forest in German? The, I know there's a Black Forest. Is what is a Black Forest cake? I'm pardon my ignorance here. Oh man, David, you've never had a Black Forest cake? I mean, maybe I've had it, but I didn't know that it was called that. Like I may have had a cheesy, but then I thought this is just a knockoff cheese it. And then someone was like, no, that's a cheesy. And so I didn't know I was eating a cheesy. So maybe it was like that. Maybe I was thought I was eating a black forest and a knockoff, a knockoff uh, German chocolate cake, but instead I was eating a black forest cake. So a black forest cake is a German like sponge cake, multi-layered. But the thing that really sets it apart is it has cherry tort in oh, it yeah. and on it. So it's like yep. cherry chocolate. Nice. Never had that. Uh, oh, we're going to make one. Let's make one. Tonight? We could do a podcast of us making this cake. <laughs> cool. <laughs> a, a podcast. I'll, I'll, ask my, I'll ask my wife about it because she actually runs a cake decorating business where she decorates, bakes and decorates cakes and cookies. Well, so then we don't need to do it. We'll, so. just have, we'll just go to his house and she can bake a cake. We have, yeah, like, we, have, we have lots of leftovers all the time. <laughs> yeah, this sounds better. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've talked about both savory foods and sweet foods. And are you, if you had to choose, more into savory foods or sweet foods? Again, yes. Um, equal opportunity eater, I see. Equal opportunity. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this too. It's, it's funny because it's, it's like I'm much more of a snacker when it comes to sweets. But when it comes to like an actual meal, I'm much more of a savory person. I don't really like sweetness in my meal, but mm. usually after I'm not really much of a dessert person. Oh, interesting. So usually I will usually pass on dessert after a really good meal, but I like having sweets just sort of in between meals or, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and things like that. Like, yeah, you, like you want to snack on those chocolate chip cookies right as they come out of the oven. Of course. Yeah. 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 But, and if, and if that was offered to me for dessert, I would never pass that up. So, so it's all about context. Right. Right. So at, if, if I were <laughs> there's a birthday party that involved my children, they finished the yeah. dinner and then before they've really even left the table or anything's been cleared, there's this clamor, this demand for the, <laughs> the, the, the cake and the ice cream immediately. Graham, does this happen at your house yes. as well? Oh, oh, yeah. If there's did, any mention of a pause between dinner and dessert, um, it's like the end of the world. Yeah, the proletariat rises up. So, in your, are you a push the chair back from the table 
you know, maybe have a little coffee, wait to have your dessert or at a birthday party, or are you, you know, let's dig in. Let's just knock this out right now. Let's, let's enjoy the whole process as quick as possible. <laughs> yeah. I have to let it settle. Yeah. I, if, if I do have a dessert at a party, I will usually wait a while after I have gorged on the food. And then um, I will let things settle for a bit. I will hang out. If there is a coffee, I will usually partake of a coffee because I will partake mm. of coffee anytime almost. So I suppose another angle to that would be that any dessert, any sweet um, drink or dessert or snack that has coffee in it or that goes well with coffee is definitely my jam as well. I think we're just illustrating the difference between adult metabolism and children metabolism. <laughs> yeah. I think that's all that's going on here. Yeah, that yes. Which I think is also like what this podcast does pretty much every weekly. It also demonstrates that. Uh, okay, Ken, uh, we've got some questions from the kids here soon and I'll turn it over to Graham to ask the first one in a second. But before we do that, uh, we would love to give you a chance to talk about your work and particularly about uh, the Goblet and uh, what, what's going on with that book and that story and kind of tell the kids, you know, what the deal is with that and where that idea came from and all that. And then we've got all those questions from the kids. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, first of all, a question for you guys, have you cracked the code? Cause I, I know that you were talking about it earlier and, been looking through it. We think so, but okay. we don't have a way to verify it. Well, I shouldn't say we. But we do my, now. My, He's right here. Well, <laughs> I, we can't just jump right into spoiler territory. territory. So I, maybe that's the answer. Okay. Maybe. Good. That's, that's okay. It, it takes, you have, to, you have to look closely and figure it out. Uh, of course. Yeah. That's like yeah. one of the best things about it. Yeah. The, that I think that idea, I don't really know where the idea for the book came from, but the idea to make it into kind of a puzzle of sorts came from um, uh, a friend of mine sent me a copy of this book called The Eleventh Hour by Graham Bass. If you've ever seen that, it's like a book from the 80s, I think. And it's sort of a book that has really, really lavish illustrations in it. And there's sort of a puzzle, a bit of a, a mystery that you're supposed to solve uh, throughout by studying the illustrations. And so I think that's one thing that years ago kind of started the ball rolling on that but uh yeah i don't really know exactly i i think that sort of gave me the idea to do a book that was also kind of like a game that had a puzzle inside because i thought that would be kind of a fun way to do it and so uh from there it just i like i like goblins i like fantasy um i i grew up obsessed with movies like the dark crystal and labyrinth and the work of brian froud the concept artist behind those films hmm. that he made back in the eighties with Jim Henson and the Muppet people. Yeah. Uh, and so that kind of gave me my inspiration from loving those films and, and the, the art and illustrations behind those films kind of gave me an excuse to, uh, to make a book about goblins. Hmm. So, That's kind of so, like what's the, so for the kids who don't know, I mean, maybe they, they might remember us doing our little, uh, promotional bit for this a couple episodes ago but what's the basic scenario of of the book and then uh ah. like how where can uh where can people where can uh, the kids you know buy this book yeah well the um the the basic concept is that the the king of the goblins has been murdered and there are 26 goblins that have been rounded up as the usual or unusual suspects as it were and um they are all all 26 goblins are on trial 
for the murder of the king. But the uh, the detective who was, um, and this is all sort of in the prologue, it kind of gives a bit of an introduction to the case and how it unfolded. And the fact that they sort of narrowed it down that there were three goblins who committed the crime. But unfortunately, the, the records uh, from the trial and the conviction and the execution of the three goblins who did end up being found to be guilty through a very terrible process called Death by Guggle Snark, which is a terrible beast with many, many teeth. So basically, the, the records have sort of all been mostly forgotten. But the thing about goblins is that they speak in a language called goblish, which can be translated into English by people who know such things. And once they're all put together in a proper order, there actually is, once goblish has been translated into English in a book format, uh, there's actually a secret code that is embedded in the, well, in each, in each goblin in the book basically has a, short poem, which is their testimony that they gave in court. And so those are all transcribed from the uh, court reports in the book. <laughs> there is a secret encode embedded in there, which uh, gives you, it's, so it's kind of a puzzle that you have to figure out to find out which three goblins actually committed this dastardly deed, as it were. And so the book is published by Bandersnatch Books. Uh, which is a new publishing company by some friends of mine who I met through the rabbit room. Mm. And yep. uh, they've, they've published a lot of really great, fantastic uh, novels and picture books and poetry books. And so they, uh, they were looking to, you know, do, do more books with, with more people. And uh, they were interested in some of the ideas that I told them about some of the book ideas I had, because they've written a few books. I have other books always in the works that I'm working on. And they said, uh, we like this one. Why don't we, uh, why don't we do this together? We'll publish it for you. And I said, sure, that would be awesome. That would be a lot of fun. Nice. And um, on the Bandersnatch website, so that's where you can order the book, is through bandersnatchbooks.com. And uh, if you solve the crime and crack the code and figure out through the puzzle inside the book uh, which three goblins committed the crime, you can actually go a step further, and there's a secret page on the Bandersnatch Books website that will tell you not only, uh, now that you know who did it, it tells you how they did it and why they did it. So there's a bit of a secret bonus chapter, which is now on the Bandersnatch Books. Oh, nice. That's fun. So have you heard about this book called Kane's Jawbone by any chance? By Edward I have not Mathers. So um, it was published in 1934. In a, it's a puzzle book, and it's it's not very long. I think it's like a hundred pages. It was originally, I believe, he was originally a crossword puzzle writer, mm -hmm. and so he created. It's a murder mystery book. I think it's got maybe six different mysteries in it, and you solve them oh, cool. through these puzzles that they that they give you in the book, and. As of not that long ago, only five people ever have solved it. And oh, it went out yeah. of print for a long time. And then um, then during the pandemic, when everything was kind of shut down, there's this thing on TikTok called Book Talk. And it got, yeah. um, got a lot of chatter on there. And so then it got reprinted. And since then, one more person has solved it. So I think it's up to like <gasps> five or six people total. I don't know if the exact number is, but that's what I was, that's what I was told. So it sounds like something that's right up your alley, but this is like 
that's for adults. So this one seems like it's like the perfect book like that for, for kids. <laughs> wow, that sounds cool. I love stuff like that. So if, if they Kane's uh, job on. If if this nice. book's like a hundred years old, like is there a keeper of the answer somewhere? Like how did how do we know this new person actually solved it? Well, Ooh. um, I you have to the solution has never been made public, but it's um there's a keeper of the solution and you have to keeper an, 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 an immortal being of some kind. I don't know. I don't know about their immortality. I can't. I can't vouch for that. That seems unlikely, though. Mm. But he uh, probably lives in a cave somewhere on an island that's guarded by harpies. So there was a guy named John Finnemore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a guy named John wow. Finnemore who's a comedian and crossword compiler who solved it, and it took him six months. From oh man, in, he solved it in November 2020. It looks like. I I really like this idea of this guy in a cave on an island, but I, I I like it. I like thinking like he's waiting for seven people to solve it, right? Because right. he's cursed, and when seven people actually solve it, uh, he gets to leave Ooh. this island and regain his mortality because he's realized immortality on an island is not worth it. <laughs> That's a it's, good story, right the, there. It does seem like it's getting a little away from the original. The original topic of conversation, though. Yeah, it's getting better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Hey, I like it. We've got uh, lots of questions from the kids, so let's try to get to a few of those before we get to our uh, word of the week and our, and of course, our puzzle that we, that you have so um, craftily and cruelly compiled for Ken. So, Leah is wondering, um, mm-hmm. since Ken is both an author and an illustrator, uh, did he always want to be both? One or the other or neither? Wow, that's a good question. Well, ever since I was a kid, I was doing both. I was pretty much from the time that I learned how to how to talk and starting by dictating stories to, to my mom who would write them down or type them out on a typewriter. And then uh, from there... Um, once I learned how to write, I was always writing and illustrating my own stories and, and writing books. Um, so that's pretty much what I did all through school. Um, but I also liked movies a lot. And so when I grew up and got to sort of, when I got to college, I started doing animation as well. So I've been an animator for many years, uh, in addition to, to writing books, which is kind of what I'm doing uh, more, more of now. I've kind of come around full circle and kind of come back to my my bookmaking roots, as it were. But uh, the drawing and the writing together uh, have always been kind of, uh, I think, close, very, very close. But when I got into high school, I was not, I didn't write as much when I got into high school, but I did, I did, I was always drawing and I was always painting and doing cartoons and things like that, which kind of led into animation. And now I'm kind of back, back where I started into both the writing and the drawing together. So Sebastian uh, he asks, well, he actually says, your style is so cool, exclamation point. And he <laughs> says, I like the black and white spooky nature of it. Has this been always been your primary style? Do you illustrate in color too? Ah, I do not illustrate in color. Um, I have done, I've tried illustrating in color. I'm not particularly good at it. Um, I need to learn how to get better at illustrating in color. I do, I've done a lot of painting 
I've, like I grew up doing oil paintings, so I've done a lot of color oh. art uh, in sort of former lives of mine, but uh, I, I generally tend to stick with black and white. Um, that's where I feel most comfortable, I think, because I did animation for so long, because when you're doing animation, you basically do all the animation by hand and you draw the characters just as a, as a rough drawing. And then as an outline, you do over top of the rough drawing and coloring it in is usually somebody else's job. So because I did animation for so long, I kind of got used to just drawing. And, uh, and then when I started, um, now I, I like Sebastian's name very much because there's a character named Sebastian J. Thrupp in a book that I wrote called Gnomes of the Cheese Forest, which is the first book that I self-published for kids um, in 2018. It's a, a collection of poetry. And one of the stories in there is about a boy named Sebastian J. Thrupp who spends all his time looking up at the sky and the birds and the trees and his neck actually gets stuck that way. <laughs> and it has a curious effect on the townspeople where he lives. So mm -hmm. uh, he has to learn how to adapt and he has a, a big uh, impact on the lives of the people around him. So, so uh, how did you get into, uh, into the, um, the, animation side of things and and like what and i guess part of what i'm asking is what were some of the inspirations for your work i mean were you watching for example it could be you know 1935 disney stuff um like yeah steamboat willie or something like that or whatever his name was or or what <laughs> like what are the things that kind of like motivated you to want to be in that world yeah well i mean i grew up with disney all the time you know i loved the old stuff even you know the the Disney films from the 1930s and 40s and 50s, especially. And, uh, you know, reissued Disney film back. This is, you know, back in the day in the 70s and 80s when I was a kid, you know, it's like they would reissue Disney films into the theaters. Oh, that was okay. the only way you could see them because you didn't have, you know, we didn't have. There's uh, no Disney Plus. There's no Disney Plus. There was a thing called a video store actually, <laughs> where you would actually go to a store and get a little box of popcorn and they'd give you this little plastic box with this little thing inside called a video cassette and you would feed it to this monster who would then you push a button on your tv and donald duck would be there um but yeah i grew up with disney i grew up with the muppets i grew up oh, yeah. with everything that jim henson jim henson was my hero mm. to this day so uh of course i love star wars as well um my whole childhood was pretty much uh Disney Muppets and Star Wars and other random films like The Last Starfighter and uh, The Secret of Nim, which is my favorite animated film of all time. Hmm. Uh, when I got into college, it was uh, Wallace and Gromit came out. I, I caught Wallace and Gromit on television, uh, a clay animation short film. And, uh, and of course, the film The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is another one of my favorite films of all time and uh kind of seeing those around the same time got me into stop motion animation which is a different form of animation where you move clay figures or or puppets a frame at a time and it's very time consuming and you have to be a little bit insane to even think about trying it because it takes a very long time but i got into that so you know i've always loved drawing and i've loved doing voices and music and just the whole process uh, but whether it's books or animation or film or whatever it's all storytelling really it's uh, 
the same the same tools of storytelling apply to all of them. Uh, there's just just different ways of uh, of doing it. So. Hmm. My my uh, kids are really into stop um, stop motion, trying to make stop motion stuff. And uh, now now you know, like kids have apps that help them do it, and kind of like walk. It's them a lot easier it. to do now. Yeah. 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 Back, back in that day, back in the day when I was in college, you had to do it on film and you had no idea what you had until you sent the film mm. back to the lab and got it back. And then you realize that you overexposed everything or underexposed everything. None of it was usable. Yeah. And every 24 to 36 photos, you have to change the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot, it was a lot harder then. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, shifting gears a little bit. John uh, wants to know what your favorite board game is. Oh, okay. Well, my favorite board game when I was a kid was Mousetrap. (laughs) But um, there's a game that I really like now. My favorite board game now is a game called Illimat, which was designed by um, some people in my favorite rock band, which is the, the Decemberists. They, they're sort of a folk rock band from Portland, and they designed a, a, a board game called Illimat, which is kind of like a card game and a board game all rolled together. And it's a lot of fun. The kids and I have enjoyed playing that um, and really, really enjoy that. So I'd say that's probably, probably my favorite board game. And th- the lead singer of that band is also himself a, a writer. Is he not? He is. Yeah. One of my favorite writers, yes, of the uh, the Wildwood Chronicles, which I absolutely adore. So that that's that's kind of brings me to a question I'd like to follow up with here. Do you like the board games that are like do you want a strategy game? Do you want it to just be like about, you know, let's spend 2 hours just kind of hanging out? Do you or do you need to like stomp your foot on someone and defeat them? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. I guess there's more than options than just those two. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not much of a strategy game type person. Illimats involves a little bit of strategy, and I enjoy that kind of strategy when it comes to beating somebody with, with numbers and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really much of a gamer, um, but I do. there are certain games that I enjoy, and that goes for video games as well. But uh, I don't know. There's just something about I, it, a board game has to sort of not only be fun, but it has to be the, the board itself has to be fun to look at. Mm. Just something about the atmosphere that's created by when you get the board out and you get all the pieces out. And, uh, yeah. Things like that. You know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a whole art and science to it. I think there's other board games. I like, I, I, I just, I, I learned how to play chess actually not that long ago. Um, hmm. only, only in the past few years, I was, I'm very, I'm notorious for being late to the party a lot of the times with certain things. Well, at least you're ahead of the, oh. you're, at least you're not late to the cheesy party. That's right. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm, I'm always late to the party for things that, that seem to matter the most. Well, if it's any consolation in the history of chess, we're all pretty late to the party. Ah, yes. Well, also your son is like, That's true. uh, well, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say nice things about Rowan on the podcast. No, I don't want to talk <laughs> about his chess prowess because, like, the day he beat me and continues to beat me, it just hurts all the time. So, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, nice. Isaac is wondering, what is one thing that inspired you to write the ice cream truck at midnight? And 
And he seems to be pretty specific. He does not want two things. What is the one thing? One thing. Oh, the one thing? No, he just said one thing. Not Oh, one one thing. Okay. That's a very good question because that's that's one of those stories that I don't know where it came from. Uh, Hmm. Sometimes I can point to a specific thing that somebody said. Uh, like when I wrote my poetry books, Domes of the Cheese Forest and Let There Be Owls Everywhere, there's certain poems that were based on things that my kids said. There's other poems that were based on weird dreams that I had, uh, other poems that, you know, and other stories. I, I have no idea where ideas come from. They probably come from that that wizard on the island that we were talking about earlier um, who <laughs> lives in the cave and knows the secrets to this mysterious 1930s book. Um Maybe all ideas come from him. Um, <laughs> maybe he sends out messenger pigeons to our brains. Mm. I, I don't know. That was one that I think I just... I know there's a lot of things in that story that come from my own life. Like um, It's the title story to the Ice Cream Truck at Midnight collection of short stories that I did. And the children in that story, their names are all based on, on kids from my own neighborhood growing up uh so those are all real real childhood friends of mine at least by name Mm. there's a reference in there to madeline lengel's book walking on water where she talks about this childhood memory that she had of going down her grandmother's stairs without touching them (laughs) that means a lot to me because i've actually done that Uh, i actually have a childhood memory of going downstairs without touching them but I forgot how to do it. Mm. So some that. of the, th- I don't, I know it's one of the boons of my existence. I forgot how that works. <laughs> but that being said, I would say that's probably my long winded way of saying there's a lot of things in that story that are kind of where I can point to kind of where they came from. But as for the whole concept of a mysterious ghost who shows up in the middle of the night in an ice cream truck with an owl sitting on top to wake kids up so that they can eat popsicles at midnight. I have no idea mm. why I came up with that. I, I, I like that. Um, I, I like the mystery of that, <laughs> that there's not a good answer for that. I like that. I'll have to say uh, the ice cream truck at midnight is one of my favorite book titles. I think I've ever heard. Um, oh, thanks. And that cover is spectacular. <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay, yeah, so, that, that was a fun one to write. So, so there's a question that. that we wanted to ask you, and I think this is a good time to ask it because it's about you're talking about like where ideas come from, and so I'm curious yeah. about your your writing routines. I guess is the way of putting it. Like you said, sometimes it's, you might get an idea from a dream, or you know, you just never know where stuff comes from. Do you have? a routine that kind of captures these ideas and then and, and like allows you to turn them into something? Or how do you go about taking a story from just like some kind of concept to an actual thing that's puts it is put in people's, you know, hands for them to read? And you know, I'm not talking about the publication side, but just like what right. is your process for for making that happen, the part that you're responsible for? Mm. Well, I can't reclaim responsibility for everything because like I said, a lot of ideas I don't know where they come from, right, but, right. Uh, but yeah, like the whole process, the routine, I don't know. I don't have a regular routine because I do have a day job at a media arts school here in Vancouver uh, called Van Arts. And uh, I have, you know, a, a family and kids and activities and, and yeah. housework and uh, other things that go on. So I basically try to 
I'm sort of, I have a notebook with me and we'll try to jot ideas down. If I don't have my notebook with me, I will email an idea to myself on my phone. <laughs> a lot of times if I'm commuting to back and forth to work, ideas will just sort of show up. They will pop into my head from you know, the old man on the island or whoever sends them to me. And, uh, you know, but I think that's a really key thing is that, you know, when you do, unless you're a full-time writer, which I'm not a full-time writer, but I, I, I'd like to think I'm a full-time creative. And so um, I'm always thinking about the, the projects I want to do, even when I'm not working on stuff, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. That really helps. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just sort of finding time, Wherever it happens to be, wherever I can find the time in between, uh, in between things, and a lot of times, really, I think being bored helps. Um, you know, it's like I think being bored is one of the best things you can do as a creative person because your brain works differently when you're bored. So sometimes it's good to just be silent, mm. and just to sit around and think, and uh, let the ideas come, uh, let the ideas sort of percolate on their own. And then when you, when you kind of in that zone and then the ideas kind of start, it's kind of like a faucet, you know, sometimes the ideas will flow really, really quickly and you have to kind of catch up to catch yeah. them all. Yeah. And other times it's a bit more of a drip or there's maybe something clogged, but there's always something flowing through that faucet. It's just that the, there's kind of, I'm, I'm totally botching up this faucet metaphor, but <laughs> it's working. But I think working. you guys, you guys have talked to enough authors. I think you kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. There's all these different and everybody has a different way. And, and I, I love how a lot of the authors that you guys have spoken with here, you know, have all have different answers to this question. And I think that's really reassuring, especially for kids that want to write because there's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, it depends on which stage of life you're at and it depends on how you work and how you think. And, uh, but I think the important thing is catching those ideas when they do come to you, because if you don't do that, they will leave mm -hmm. and they'll fly away into the netherworld of wherever ideas go if you don't catch them. Yeah, yeah. Because you will never find them again. There's been many moments where I had an idea and I knew that I had a good idea right? or something came to me and I didn't write it down and I never found it. Mm. Mm. So now they're all trapped in a, in a puzzle book that nobody can solve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I keep coming back to that because I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the creative process is, is just, uh, you know, strange. There's this thing that sometimes you'll see people, writers say, you know, you should write because you have to or like... Um, you feel like it's the only thing you can do or, you know, yeah. you're, it's, you're just drawn to it in a, in a way that's like... You, you couldn't see yourself doing anything else. And I think that for a lot of kids, that's a little bit, I don't know if I want to say off-putting, but weird because, you know, kids can see themselves doing all kinds of stuff. And even kids who want yeah. to write, you know, like I like to write, but I, I could also spend my time doing a lot of other things. So I kind of don't like that answer when people say, writer, if you, if you don't feel like you have to write all the time or like if you don't write, you're in, like you're, you won't be happy, then yeah. I don't know. I don't like that answer because you know, there's lots of ways people can be happy and, you know, sure. That's true for some people, but it doesn't mean you're not yeah. a writer. If you, if writing is not the only thing you ever want to do, or, you know, yeah. uh, as someone like you work on a lot of different kinds of creative forms. So the, just the way writers yeah. think about this is interesting to me. 
Well, I, I love so many different things. I love puppetry. I love animation. I love movies. I love music. I love books. Um, you know, so I mean, for me, it's sometimes it is very, very daunting to kind of think about what's the one thing I really want to focus on. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't write for years. Uh, while I was in the animation world, I was kind of focused on that for a long time. But I don't consider any of that time wasted because all of those, it being an animator for, you know, for about 20 years helped me to be a better illustrator mm. and writing and illustrating books is kind of where my heart, I still do animation occasionally. I think I'll always be involved with animation one way or another here and there. Uh, and I've done animation workshops with kids as well, which is a lot of fun. We were talking about that before. Uh, so, you know, I kind of dabble in different things because there's, there's so many things you can do and they, but they all kind of feed into each other. Yeah. So sometimes I think not writing or not, creating and just talking with people and listening to other stories and reading different kinds of books and traveling and seeing different places, just living your life and experiencing different things all kind of soaks into your brain. And then it'll come out when you do do something creative. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, Okay. So uh, next question is from Adelaide. And okay. it's a good one. Uh, she oh, good. wants to know who your favorite character is in Goblabet. Oh, wow. Or maybe you could do like your, your top three or something like that. I don't know. I, I like them all for different reasons. Um, a lot of them, they were really fun to draw. They were really fun to come up with. I like Cronia Pruvis, the librarian. I think she has a really great face, um, which is very piercing and kind of this face that's kind of friendly, but you're not sure if it's friendly or not. (laughs) They all kind of have that. Well, I mean, they're all, they've all been framed for, they've all been, they're all being tried for murder. So I don't really think you can trust any of them completely. Mm. I do like the Lum, which is the mysterious shape. Um, I like the ventriloquist. I like the last one, uh, the candlestick maker. He was a lot of fun to draw. They each have a personality. They each have uh, a story, some of which I don't know. I'm not privy to all the details of. But, you know, they all have their little lives. Well, three of them don't anymore because they were executed. I won't say which <laughs> uh, Three of them are definitely not with us any longer. Uh, <laughs> but it's up to the reader to figure that out. Uh, and I'm not going to drop any clues. Yeah, so uh, the ones you just pointed out were the ones that are my favorite ones. Which ones are your favorites? I'm more interested yeah, so in, I, in that. I, I couldn't remember the Lum's name, but like that one just like jumps off right away. And then the last one, I was just going to call him Candily Man because I don't have the book in front of me, but that one. And then right. the only one who I feel like is definitively cute is the one on the cover who's also on the interior oh, as well. Yeah. Scarbunicus Flim. Definitively cute. Yeah, he's the 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 monk, right? I think he's right. adorable. Oh, but thanks. Maybe, maybe I'll tell him. I'll tell him you said that. He doesn't speak though, so of course he's he's a monk. He's taken a vow of silence. Mm. Well, that might be why he's so, so adorable. <laughs> maybe. Well, it's it's like he's like dopey, you know. I mean, like the characters who don't speak. There's something. There's something cute and endearing mm. about that. I don't know why that is, but. Well, Graham, it is time. It is time for the quiz. It's quiz time. It is so, time for the quiz. Ken, are you ready uh-huh. 
to um to endure the hardest quiz you have ever taken i, I think i'm gonna have to be i was gonna say it's probably not gonna be that so don't gear up for the hardest quiz you've ever taken but maybe the second okay. hardest okay all right so ken i have created five questions for you and what better topic to give ken preby a quiz on than goblins so this is the ken oh, no. preby goblin quiz <laughs> I don't think there was another option. Like, this is the only option. Okay, so, question number one. With its pink skin, elongated, flattened snout, protruding jaws that are filled with teeth that resemble nails, the goblin shark truly lives up to its name. Uh, This predator of the deep has a large, oily liver, making it neutrally buoyant. This means that a goblin shark can lazily and creepily drift toward its prey. If you were to come up with an insult for a fellow human based on the features of the goblin shark, which of these would be the best way to alert them to your displeasure? Okay, here are the options. Okay. They're all going to start with you, sir. Okay, so You, sir, are an oily liver drifter. That's pretty good. Okay. Option B. You, sir, are an elongated sea searcher. Option C. You, sir, are a protruding jawed bottom feeder. Or option D. You, sir, are a nail-toothed snout face. Ah. I like C. I think I would go with C. A protruding jawed bottom feeder? Yes. Oh, that's particularly hurtful. Uh, That that was the one that I, I felt... You know, that would be the truest insult of all of these. What was A? Well, oily livered. Um, oily livered. But <sighs> I think <sighs> protruding jawed bottom feeders is a great answer. Yeah, protruding jaws is something everyone would see. If you have an oily liver, it's just kind of like... You, you know, can hide it. Your insides aren't great, but you know, I'm not going to notice. Yeah. Question I have to say, I love, I love the phrase neutrally buoyant. <laughs> yeah, I know. Not, it's like not that, buoyant enough to rise up. That is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so kids, with your parents' permission, you can go ahead and Google goblin shark. They are disturbingly scary creatures. I'm going to do that right now while you ask the next question. No, I don't want to hear your screeches as I'm trying to ask the next question. I do hear they're endangered, though. Okay, uh, question number two. Okay. In the Harry Potter series, everybody knows if you have a treasure to store you should lock it up safe with the goblins of Gringotts Bank. Of course. If you, Ken, were a wizard, what special special security measures would you enchant your vault to have? Go. Ah, uh, security measures to guard the bank. Um, I would definitely have to employ a few baby goggle snarks. Ooh. Now, the goggle snark is a very, very large beast, but... They do start off small, and they do they can be uh, harvested from certain nests and places where they are sold. And so, if you put a whole bunch of goggle snarks in a semicircle, they all act with one hive mind. Anybody who crosses their path will be immediately and hideously gnawed to death, uh, and it is not pleasant. That in itself would keep anybody away from any bank mm-hmm. because you do not mess with goggle snarks, whether they are one fully grown or a hive mind of babies. I am not really sure which is worse. I've heard terrible things about both. 
So my intuition, David, uh, was correct that Ken would have an answer for this question, and it would be an excellent one. We're marking that as correct. Okay, good. I don't think there's any chance that that one's wrong. No. (laughs) Full points. Question number three. If you were to have one of these goblins as a parent, which would you choose? And and this question, I guess, presupposes that you have to pick one of these as your parent. Option A, the goblin chief from The Hobbit. Okay. Option B, the green goblin, villain (laughs) from Spider-Man. Or option C, Jareth the Goblin King from Labyrinth. From Labyrinth. I was actually, it was, it was on the tip of my tongue to say, can I choose Jareth right when you said Jareth as an option? (laughs) So that would be, that would definitely be my answer. So having Jareth as a dad, you think that'd be a lot of fun? Having David Bowie as a dad would be awesome. <laughs> I don't care who he is. He could be he could be Ziggy Stardust or the Thin White Duke for all I care. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of I, I miss. Like, oh, I, I yeah. Hey, look it up, Ziggy Stardust, um, or ask ask mom and dad. They'll they'll know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I I miss I miss David Bowie greatly. He's another another. I want him to be my dad. Mm. All right, we're marking that one as correct. The Green Goblin, too ambitious. Uh, I would say the Goblin Chief, just, you don't want to be anywhere near that guy. Limited mental capacity. Yeah. Yeah, and unlimited appetite. Uh, Question number four. (laughs) Goblin Valley State Park is located in central Utah. Uh, And it's so named because of the thousands of hoodoos, which are formations of mushroom-shaped rocks, uh, some as tall as several yards that reside there. Uh, I guess they kind of look like goblins or things goblins would like. That's why they named this park Goblin Valley. Uh, My question to you, if you were told that at midnight on the third full moon of the year, goblins actually did visit that place, would you wait there to greet them? And if yes, which of these items would you bring with you and why? Option A. The silver lantern filled with the oil from a goblin shark's liver. Option B, the vapors of truth drawn from the cistern of Fantasties. Option C, the amulet that is not an amulet. Or, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Uh, Or option D, goblibet, so they could sign it. Oh. <laughs> Again, I'm going to have to go with C because that amulet that is not an amulet mm. is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. It's a very wise choice. I, I'm partial to amulets because of my Secret of Nim fanboy uh, qualities. And just the very word amulet yeah. has a lot of mystery and, and wonderfulness to it. So this is an interesting question because you could have gone with B, C, or D and they'd all be right. But A, you never want to bring a silver lantern uh, into I... this goblin valley. That's, that's certain death. Uh, ah. so that is correct. Question number question. five. I have a question. Oh, sure. uh, amulets that are not amulets. Uh, I need to explore this a little bit further. So oh, if David, 
if you do not know the amulet that is not an amulet, we cannot disclose any information about that. <laughs> well, I, ha- I wanted to talk. Wait, that's fine. You don't have to disclose anything. But I just had a, uh, I had a question about the, the, um, the, 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 the power that such a thing might have, and uh, whether it would be. Well, there, you know, never mind. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've all got questions, but rarely answers. Uh, <laughs> wow. Question five. Okay. Goblabet uh, by author Ken Preby is a curious collection of 26 goblins who are under trial for the mysterious murder of the king. So here's the question. The three guilty characters who committed the crime are... You're expecting me to give the secret away? <laughs> I just wanted. Are to you see trying what... to trap me? Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Graham, uh-huh. you know, Graham depends. Sneaky sometimes. Oh, let me Ken, rephrase that. Graham thinks he's sneaky sometimes. Ken, it uh-huh. depends on how much you want to get the question right. Uh huh. Well, you see, I'm not at liberty to say because there, there, there are penalties for giving the secret away, especially for someone like myself who is involved in writing this this little thing. Yeah, Graham, it's Whoa. a dangerous business working with goblins, and I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to put myself on record as as breaking any of their their bylaws because they have um, many tools and amulets and different things that hurt a lot. Hmm. Okay, that's fair enough. I was just trying to see if I could get you to slip up. Um, <laughs> all right, Ken, uh, you did excellent on this quiz. We give you a thoroughly passing grade. Great work! Oh yay! Thoroughly passing. <laughs> Thoroughly passing? <laughs> Thoroughly. New- neutrally buoyant? Neutrally passing? <laughs> I have passed with neutralist buoyancy. <laughs> exactly. Hey, we have uh, our word of the week coming up. Before we do that, I want to ask one question. Eliana has that, you know, we, I, it's just too good of a question to, to not ask it. So she Fair. asks, if you had to choose one thing to save from a burning house that is not a person or a pet, what would it be? One thing to save from a burning house that is not a person or a pet. My French coffee press. Hmm. Most likely. Just because you need to like have coffee ASAP? Because I would probably need to have coffee ASAP. I would also try to um, pray that I could somehow grow really giant and strong arms so that I could get all of my books out of the house. Mm. (laughs) So the French coffee press. Yes. This is not a right or a wrong answer. I'm just confused by that answer. Because <laughs> couldn't you get another French press? Well, you could. Or is it like is it like part amulet? Is it an amulet French press? Yes, it's very special. Oh, it's okay. enchanted. Oh, well then say no more. And I mean yeah. literally say no more. Yeah. Yeah, See, well, my, my, get in my, my, my French coffee press is enchanted. Therefore, it's the only one in existence. Oh, I well, then, have to save it yeah. or else... The coffee just wouldn't taste the same. <sighs> Makes sense. I, I totally get it now. I yeah. just, just wanted to, I just need to follow up and see if there was, you know, at the, what was at the heart of that answer? Okay. Ken, right. It is time. It's all I could, it's all I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it just tells us that you love coffee. Um, and books. And books. Yeah. Okay. So it's time for the word of the week. When we try to figure out what a, what a crazy English word means, and we try to figure out how close we can get to what it actually means. But, in order to get this word, Graham is going to have to go down and endure 
the scary basement, have a little conference with the bookstore troll and figure out what he wants from us this time in exchange for the word. Because Ken, during the off season, between seasons two and three, I made a word of the week dictionary thinking, you know, we're going to be so prepared. But then I put it on the bookshelf, I put it on the shelf in the bookstore, and I thought, this seems like the right place for a book, shelf in a bookstore. But the bookstore troll being petty, as bookstore trolls are, he, well, he took it. And so now we have to um, do a little negotiation with him every week. Uh, Graham, um, you want to head down there? Are you ready? Do you need to put on a helmet this time? Well, no, I don't think I do need to put on a helmet this time. Because if you remember last time, he was asking for a name. And uh, Mm. we told him, you know, we'll get back to you next week. Yeah, we're going to ask the kids. So, yeah, we've come up with that name. And I'm going to take it down to him and and see if he approves. Do you, so I'm not scared. I'm not scared. This which time. name are we gonna are we gonna officially give him? What what was this the one. leading vote getter? This one. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. Perfect. All okay. right. Well, uh, go on. I mean, good luck. I'll be back. Be brave. <laughs> Okay, uh, you you won't believe this. Um, I did not have to slide it under the door. He opened the door. Uh, I so don't believe face it. Face, face to face, I handed, I handed him the note with our proposed name. He gave me a knowing nod and <laughs> handed me this word and closed the door. I think we're on pretty good terms with this bookstore troll right now, and he likes his new name. Okay, great, great. So nice. when can we start calling him that name? Are uh, we supposed to start calling him that? Like uh, right away, are we supposed to call him that next week, next season? Do we know? Did, did you have? Did you get in writing? Because I don't want to accidentally call him the wrong thing. Like I didn't. Uh, I didn't ask any follow ups. Um, we'll we'll figure it out. Okay. Well, we should probably get it in writing. You because you know trolls. If you don't get everything in writing, like it's just hard to maintain your friendship with a troll. If it's not in writing. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of contracts with the troll. Yeah, that's why he hasn't eaten us yet. I totally understand. Okay. Well, here's the word of the week. Okay. So let me just. Um, let me just open this sheet of paper. Okay, it, here it is. I don't know how to pronounce. I don't know how to pronounce this word, guys. Okay, I think it's uh, gobe gobe mouche. Gobe gobe mouche. G O B M O U C H E is how you spell it. Gobe gobe mouche. You guys, what do you think? How do you think you say that? Gobe Is are you sure not to gobe mouche? Gobe mouche. Is it all one word or is it two? Oh, words? it's all one word. Really? Is there wow. any accent marks or umlauts, David? There are none, according to this, <laughs> um, according to the, the word of the week dictionary, which was stolen by the, by the troll. Um, okay. So yeah, you know, let's take a break. We're gonna our brains are breaking right now, just trying to figure out how to say it. So you can't imagine what it's gonna be like trying to figure out what it means. So we'll take a quick break. We're gonna write down what we think it is, and we will be back to share that, and then inevitably be nowhere close to what it actually means. Be right back. Okay, we are back and we have written down what we think this crazy word means. Go mouche, go mouche. Uh, our custom is to have Graham go first, then I will go, and then, I'll, then our special guest will go third. And then, of course, we will do the big reveal. Graham, what do you think this word mm-hmm. means? Okay, so if it's pronounced uh, go mouche, um, uh, that is a mustache uh, that you grow so long uh, that you then have to tuck it behind your ears. But if it's pronounced gobamoosh, that refers to the little clips that you put on the end of your mustache and 
to secure it to your ear. So it all depends. <laughs> That's nothing like what I think it means. Because I think that gobuche is a dessert, which is made uh, with like a duck fat pudding and a cherry filled pastry combined with a duck confit and shaved wildflowers. It's known to be a delicacy among Norwegian whalers and also Norwegian whales. So um, it's a little bit of a sweet and savory thing at the same time. It's heavy on the duck. I'll say that. Right. Well, I mean, you know, Nor- Norway. I don't actually... Is that, I guess. I don't know if that's a thing in Norway, but we're going to go with it. Ken, what do you think uh, gob mouche or goba mouche or whatever this word is means? Well, this is where my Canadian side is going to come out because... Um, is it about hockey? It's, well, not, not quite, but it's... Um, I have a theory that it's not actually an English word. It's actually a French word because you see that we don't actually have electricity up here in Canada. We have every house, every house has um, an apparatus. And so what a go mouche actually is, is the special treadmill that we all have behind our house. And on the treadmill is a moose. And dangling in front of the moose's head is a big jar of maple syrup. And the moose is trying to get to the maple syrup because he's hungry and you're never supposed to feed the moose at all. You never feed him donuts or back bacon or anything because he's just trying to get to the maple syrup. Mm. And that's his sole purpose. And the, the gobouche is the special treadmill apparatus that the mm. moose is running on, which is keeps what gives us electricity, keeps us warm in winter. And it's what's allowing me to talk to you guys through the magic of the interwebs right mm. now. Uh, you know, thanks to the moose on the gob moose treadmill. I have heard legends from my Canadian family about such things, but I never knew what it was called. This explains. This explains that. So you're yeah. saying that you're saying that moose is working hard right now. Yes, overtime. Very hard overtime. Yeah. All right, guys. But he's happy. He's he's totally glad to do it though. He's doing what he was made to do, right? He is. It's like that it's guy in chariots moose. of fire that just wants to run. Um, yes, for God, all for God's glory. Exactly. Okay. All right. Go mouche or whatever. Okay. Here's what it actually means. Um, oh. Oh. Okay. This is a this is a word that has to just be part of common common speech. <laughs> go mouche or whatever it is is a highly gullible person. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Is that is that a, a trick gullible answer? Person. Not, I mean that's. <laughs> <laughs> because by by saying that you could be trying to call it's true I, I'm, not, I, I'm because not trying we're, to trick you though we're so gullible that we believe you and David if you're um, if you think this word should be part of the vernacular um, then we better all learn how to pronounce it correctly I just clicked on a thing that says pronunciation and it says gobmush gobmush oh gobmush gobmush well that that makes sense well, that brings us to the end of this week's word of the week. Um, so, start. Everybody should start using gobmoosh when referring to whenever you're playing tricks on your little siblings, because you know everybody knows that little siblings are gullible, and now you have a word to call them. But maybe you shouldn't call them that because then people will think you're being mean and insulting them. Because gobmoosh doesn't sound like that nice of a word. I don't know. It sounds like a whole thing to introduce this into common speech. So maybe we should just not. That sounds fair, fair enough. 
Yeah. Uh, Ken, you're the official, you're going to have to be the official voice on that. If it's going to be introduced into common parlance, then I think it needs to be introduced in, the, in a future Ken Preby book. And so we'll let you decide exactly whether or not that should happen next time you write a book. Well, there you go. I will, I will, uh, I shall endeavor to um, be worthy of my post. Okay. Speaking of uh, the next things that you're working on, what are you working mm-hmm. on next? I am currently working on a novel. Um, it's sort of, it's very in the early stages. I've only written a few chapters, but uh, it's something that's kind of been in the back burner of my head for quite a long time. And the ideas sort of have come together over the past few months since, uh, since Gobblebet was wrapped up and I needed something else to work on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm always chipping away at several book projects at once. Uh, so I do have a few ideas for other shorter form books that I still intend on putting out. But as of right now, this is the one that seems to have moved to the front burner. So I'm working on that right now. It's, it's uh, fantasy, it takes place in a fantasy world. It involves a sea voyage and people made out of wood and a couple of refugee children who stow away on a ship and go on an adventure. And that's all I will say about it for now, because I don't even know exactly everything that's going to happen. Could you, could you, could it just be called the Gobmush? I will have to find out a way to put that in there. Gobblebat, Gobmush, like, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to put some things together here. All right, Graham, let's wrap this thing up with a, with a very important final question. Yeah. David's trying to be your creative director here. Um, (laughs) All right. So Ken, is there a author or illustrator friend or just somebody you would like to see uh, come on our podcast and, as we say, endure the slings and arrows of with you? Uh, let's see. I think, I think you guys should give Jeffrey Overstreet a call. You know what? Get him on the show. I, five minutes ago, I was thinking about that. I'm not, I'm really? not kidding. Uh, five minutes ago. Well, we do tend to share brainwaves. So, because he's just across the border from yeah. me in Seattle, oh. Seattle to Vancouver, we're, there's a lot of uh, weird, you know, percolations of things that, that happen across that border. He's kind of been in like an internet, I've never met him in person, but kind of an internet friend of mine for a while now. And uh, yeah. I've interviewed him a couple of times for other stuff, but never, never really about his kids' yeah. books. And he, those stories are really fun. That's a great idea. Yeah, he's, he's, his fantasy uh, novel series is probably a bit for, for older, older kids, but uh, I've heard a lot, of, a lot of kids have enjoyed his books, and he's well, he, just a great creative guy to talk to. And yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah. Muppet fan very as well. Dear, huge Muppet fan. That's one of the ways we connected. He's a very dear friend, and I think he would have a blast with you guys. Yeah, that'd be fun. Ken, thank you so much. We had a blast talking to you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for the Gobblebet. And we're going to get back to work trying to solve this thing. Graham's not allowed to sleep until he does, which is why he hasn't been feeling well. (laughs) Uh, But Graham, get back to work. Ken, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, Leon, we are back. We are back. Thanks so much to Ken Preby for com- for coming on. And of course, don't forget that you can head over to bandersnatchbooks.com and use that code WITHYWINDLE, W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E, to get a discount on that book. It's a great conversation. Yeah. But that brings us to real time. Real time. Riddle time. You know, I've been drinking this cream soda with these uh, chopsticks, and it's been... I can see it. It's slow going. Most it's of it is still in the bottle. slow going, but... <laughs> 
No, no, it's bad. I'm not. I'm gonna stop. Snack, snatch. Riddle time. Riddle time. Last week, I gave you a riddle about Julian. Uh, Julian has a big bushy beard, uh, and really likes shaving. Right? Really likes shaving. So yeah. he shaves up to twenty-five times per day. Seems which, like a lot. Yeah, excessive. You might you might consider that excessive. Uh, yet at the end of each day, he still has a really big beard. How can this be? The answer to the riddle... He has 25 faces. <laughs> like the character in uh, Phantom Tollbooth. His the hair do- grows really fast. The dodecahedron. That's interesting. Uh, the answer that we were looking for was that Julian is a barber. Oh, so he shaves other people. He's pe- shaving okay. other people. Oh, yeah. However... Yep, yep, yep. However... We got some good answers, huh? We got good answers, and... I don't know why we didn't think of these before. <laughs> Some people said, well, Julian just shaves his legs, his head, his armpits, any other part of his body. Uh, that's why he could still have a beard. Totally acceptable. That's a great answer. Uh, other people said he just shaves a tiny part of his beard. Mm. Uh, also correct. So this is an interesting one because mm. this one like... I mean, we can say that an answer is right or wrong. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say these are correct because those both. I think you're being generous. I, well, generous Graham. That's what they should call me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think these are good answers, and we're we're gonna accept them. And of course, that means that all those correct answers were entered into our pool of correct answers for the whole season. Yes. And after next week's episode, we're gonna draw a winner. We're going to select one of those winners to win a book bundle mm-hmm. from Goldberry Books. Very cool. So that was the last riddle of season three. But don't worry. We're not going to end this episode quite yet. We have to decide on this name. We have to announce the official name for the bookstore troll. So we had three finalists, right, Graham? Yeah, so the kids voted. Uh, we had lots of emails, uh, and I was tallying them up. And yes, we have three. And those three were Gargelhauser, Klonk, and Cheesecake. They're all good. And thanks, of course, to the Wilson boys for, uh, for the original uh, nominees. Yep. Shout out to them. But as you heard, we, we brought one down to him. We did, and he accepted it. He accepted it, and that one was... Gargelhauser! <laughs> or should we say it differently? Gargolehauser? Gargolehauser. Now, I don't know, like, okay, so Gargolehauser, the bookstore troll. Yeah. I, I still don't feel, like, comfortable just being like, hey, what's up, Gargolehauser? What's up, Big G? So I don't know if we need to, like, I don't know. I, we're gonna I, have I just, to get, it feels weird. Yeah, we're going to have to get used to it. We've been calling him bookstore troll for so long. Yeah. You know, it's like when I finally realized your name was Graham <laughs> after all those years. And I had uh-huh. been calling you Dum Dum for so long. <laughs> when it came time to finally call you Graham, yeah, it felt it weird. Took me until like a month ago, right? Right. You know, it was, so. Okay. So what you're yeah. saying is like there's an onboarding process, right? Right. Okay. And so sometimes every now and then, like I accidentally say, "Hey, Dum Dum," and you know who I'm. Talking I know about. exactly. You, yeah, you know. Yeah. Right. My ears. Yeah. It's because you kind of secretly up. know that it's like not the wrong name for you. It's like an, it's, it makes sense. Yeah, it's, but I Graham's like being not, you like, and your parents gave you Graham. So yeah, and like I, I don't mind being referred to as that delicious tiny uh, sucker. Yeah, the little lollipop thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which flavor would you be? 
Mystery. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Mystery. You're wrong. You're wrong. You wouldn't be. You'd be like pineapple or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like the, the... Everybody wants to be a mystery flavor. Well, you would be the boring like butterscotch then. Fine. You love butterscotch. I know. Don't lie. I know. <laughs> Secret thing about Mr. <laughs> Dum Dum over here is he, he likes butterscotch. Who doesn't like butterscotch? I don't know. Everybody likes butterscotch. I don't know. There's probably a kid out there who just said, Yeah. A word Gargleauser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not a whole lot of kids chomping on Werther's Originals. That's not true. Every grandparent makes sure there's kids <laughs> chomping on Werther's Originals. That's true. That's true. Okay. So Gargleauser is the name of the bookstore troll. Yeah. He has accepted it. We shall... An endeavor to call him Gargalhauser. Yep. Each time we encounter him, it'll take some practice. But by the time we get to season four, inevitably, we will be pros at calling him Gargalhauser. It is a great name because Gargle is just like a gross, Gargle. a visceral sound. And then Hauser, like house. He lives, he kind of lives in our house. Like the bookstore. That's right. Bookstore is kind of the house. That's true. So he's That's the true. Gargle of the house. That's right. Uh, it also almost sounds like gargoyle. Gargoyle, yeah. Very mythical, creaturely word. So this was the last episode proper where we, we kind of do all the segments and yeah, have the a guest like that. And so is there anything kids need to know about next week? Well, next week, as we mentioned, we're going to just be focusing on our conversation, our question with Riza, our question Palooza three. three with Karina Yanglazer. Question Palooza three featuring... Karina Yang Glazer. So you can send in your questions to us at podcast at goldberrybooks.com. And they can be for Karina. They can be for all of us. They can be about uh, the Vanderbeekers. They can be about her new book. They can be about cream soda. They can be about yep. gargling salt water. They can be about printers with legs. They can be about pine trees. They can be about pop socks. They can be about regular socks. They can be about chocolate chip cookies. They can be about butterscotch cookies. They, you know, you get the point. They can be about anything. They could be about how you want to sponsor season four. Uh, they could also be f- questions for the bookstore troll. We don't know if we'd actually let him answer any yeah, on the air. Now no. that he has his own podcast. Yeah, it's, probably not. Probably not. Garglehauser featuring Garglehauser. <laughs> Garglepod. Garglepod. Garglepod with Garglehauser. <laughs> exactly. Well, Graham, that brings us to the end of another episode of Withy Windle, the ninth episode of the third season. 3.9. Yes. 3.9. Congratulations on making it through nine more episodes and still being you. We did it. I'm so glad. One more episode and you finally unshackled me. <laughs> Wait, was that the deal? Oh. I was hoping you'd forget. You know what? For Grant Pittman, I'm David Curran. Until next time, happy reading.